This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You are listening to the next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of The Lost City of Z. To dream, to seek the unknown, to look for what is beautiful is its own reward. A man's reach should exceed his grasp. Or what's a heaven for? You are the explorer? Give me a hand. I wish to find a lost city. What you seek is far greater than you ever imagined. It is your destiny. I'll not know you when you return. I know this is a sacrifice for all of us. The environment's brutally difficult. The journey may well mean your life, but you could reclaim your family name. Ain't nobody comes back from up there. But we have never let fear determine our future. What did you hope to achieve out here? If we may find a hidden civilization, where one was considered impossible to exist. We may well write a whole new chapter in history. I call it Zed. It is there. And we must find it. All right, everyone. You were just listening to the trailer for The Lost City of Z. Based on David Grant's best-selling book of the same name, The Lost City of Z is true-life drama which centers on British explorer Colonel Percival Fawcett, who disappeared while searching for a mysterious city in the Amazon in the 1920s. It is starring Charlie Hunnam, Robert Pattinson, Tom Holland, and Sienna Miller. It is written and directed by James Gray, and joining me for this review, I have... Kristen Lopez. Hello, everybody. So, Kristen, I think that it is very appropriate that we have you here to talk about this film because the first thing that came to my mind, the first couple of moments uh, when this movie just first starts right off the bat, I was thinking to myself, this is a classic throwback film. This is a film that harkens back to... Uh, big sweeping epics uh, from the 50s. It's like David Lean mode here for James Gray. And I loved it. What about you? Um, I've never seen a David Lean film, so... <laughs> I'm sorry. L- let me back up for a minute. You've never seen The Bridge on the River of Kwai? No, I have not. Lords of Arabia? I have not. G- just g- find a cliff right now. Just just go... I'm- they're long. I got I got living to do. Um, <laughs> Come on, seriously? Uh, I have not. Yeah, I, I well, I I've seen Doctor Zhivago. There you which, go. Which okay. has no comparison to this movie. Um, but we're getting. I would somewhere. not call. I would not call this Zhivago esque. There's a movie next week that I was 
I would definitely call Zhivago esque. Not this one though. Um, and I want to preface this. I saw this two weeks ago. So uh-huh. my mind is not really like as clear as if we had talked about this like right after I'd seen it. You but, think yours is bad. I saw this movie back in October. <laughs> okay. So yeah, we're both kind of coming at this a bit late, but um, I really enjoyed this. This is not much like most James Gray films. And I mind you, I think the only experience I have with James Gray is the immigrant. Um, you're dealing with very slow churning thought-provoking films that you have to commit 100% of your attention to where you're going to miss the nuance and the pathos and the the beauty of it. And for me, it took a little bit to get into it because you have a lot of introduction, exposition going on. It's a very formalist film, if that's the proper word, I I think. Um, Some people would call it dry, but I didn't see it that way. But it is a very, I mean, that's part of the, the point of the movie is that you have these sterile characters going out and trying to both perpetuate white superiority, but at the same time, discovering this side of, of the world that did not exist. And I loved the cinematography. It's beautiful to look at. Kudos for getting some good performances out of Robert Pattinson and Charlie Hunnam, who are yeah. usually critically maligned. For me, the high point was Sienna Miller. Yes. I, I love how that story, that storyline is presented. I love how it's written. Not to toot my own horn, but that was what I told James Gray when I talked to him, was how much I loved Sienna Miller's character. She's she's the wife at home that actually doesn't go away. Go figure. She actually factors into the story. <laughs> she's the wife at home who calls out the wife at home character. Yeah. Which, which I really enjoy because she's kind of the one who says... How dare you say that I can't go out into the jungle? Women create life. Women go through childbirth. You know, you're you're complaining about going out into to the the wild blue yonder, but you know, we have nine months out of our lifetime, you know, every time we have children. And, um, and, I, and I think that's an interesting point to bring up, and this is why I'm glad I have you for this one, because a lot of the themes of this film that I that I felt like James Gray was diving into uh, was masculinity on the side of uh, Percy Fawcett. Yeah. He's doing this for what he says is for his family, to give his family a better life. But the more that this film goes on, the more it seems to me that he's trying to prove himself as a man. Uh, It ultimately feels like it, not to his family, but ultimately to uh, build a legacy for himself and have something tied to him that will allow him to live on in infamy. Well, there's that line about, I think the the men say something he's, he's failed by genetics or something that that his family lineage is not nearly what it could be. So he's already kind of working from the bottom. And, and that's where I say it's a very formalist film because you're dealing with characters who on the outside have these very silly codes of conduct you know, even though he's he's this successful person to his family, he feels that it means nothing if he doesn't have medals and if he doesn't have these kind of male-created badges of mm-hmm. of g- glory. Um, it's it's again, it's very much similar to Apocalypse Now in the concept of man's military might and again white superiority and colonialism and it really you could argue that it's talking about america itself and even though it's british but the concept of you know white exceptionalism 
and wanting to plant your flag. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, James Gray's presenting a lot here. Yeah, Um, it's a very densely packed film. I'm going to go so far as to say I think it's quite possibly his best work. Um both thematically and aesthetically. I, I want to see The Immigrant again. It's been a long time since I've seen that before I say definitively because I remember being, being blown away by that movie. Well, definitely his most ambitious film uh, to date, yeah. I will say. Um, the cinematography here, you said before, staggeringly beautiful um, by Darius... Con- oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Darius Kanji. Um, my God. The I, I I'm gonna tell I'm gonna say this right now. I know it's early. I understand that, but man, I would love to see this make it all the way till the end of the year for a cinematography nomination at the minimum. I even when the story started to get to a snail's pace for me at times, the images were just like unreal. And it's from what I understand too, um, all shot on film, right? No digital, from what I understand. I didn't ask him about that, so I'm just going to assume. <laughs> let's, ima- let's imagine that it is. But you could see, as uh, you said before, um, influences of things like Apocalypse Now to Aguirre, The Wrath of God. I mean, I was, I, you know, as someone who went to film school, I was just like in cinema heaven watching this movie. Um, I, to the point where, like, the story and the, um, you know, the acting, you know, Charlie Hunnam, Robert Patterson, okay, like a little hit or miss. I was actually, I think, so I had such low expectations going into this that I think that the visuals really, really carried along uh, my attention throughout this movie to the point where if I did have any shortcomings with a couple of things that I do here or there, um, I was I was ultimately carried through. Um, and I have to say, James Gray's direction of this film is just so goddamn confident. So yeah, confident. There's there's some great cinematography that is just so lush and so detailed you know you can practically see i think like every leaf uh and for me it's almost the characters are almost incidental because what i appreciated more were the feelings and the and i i know i'm explaining this poorly but once they go out into this expedition you know, there are specific beats that are just really amazingly executed. There's a, a subplot where they bring this financier who's kind of like this, you know, guppy, milk toast type of guy um, who almost ends up getting them killed because he's just like terrified of everything. And you have these moments that harken back to stuff like Mutiny on the Bounty or, you know, like, again, there are so many references to classic cinema that the acting... A lot of this movie, you know, from what I can recall, there's not a lot of dialogue once they get out into the jungles. I mean, it's more about them taking everything in and internalizing it. And that's where, like, I think that I think you just said what I was trying to get at before, uh, but albeit in a much better way, about the visuals uh, really helping you through those moments in the film. Because you're right, it does feel like at times that the film is kind of just going through the motions almost and it's not really it doesn't have a sense of urgency to it i I didn't feel like um never once did i ever feel like the film had um, a a very 
great sense of pacing in terms of um it's as aimless i think it's it's aimless much like the characters the characters are going out you know this i think if somebody try a lesser director tried to make this this would be like a reality show you know we have these characters we're going to put them in the jungle and we're just going to see what happens only gray is a director who's taking actors who he's written these backstories for them and they're going out and they're just going to see what happens you know, it's 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 Gray who's got the puppet strings, who's kind of manipulating the story. But as you're watching, these characters are really just kind of aiming at a wall to see what sticks. You know, and when you talk about too, uh, and you're right because I think it's all deliberate though. And this is where I say like the confident direction piece is because the more you watch this film and the more you're watching this guy take his um, take take his leave from his wife, uh, take his leave from his sons go deeper into this jungle um and then he does it again and again and then he fights in the freaking war almost gets himself killed then he decides he wants to take tom holland who's barely in the movie by the way um but you know i i don't think he made much of an impact honestly but anyways he takes him with him into the jungle as well and there's not, like I said, there's not much necessarily going on. And we kind of know how this all ends up ultimately. Um, so that suspense factor is gone. This movie, I think, deliberately, deliberately is trying to drive us as mad as the character um, himself, uh, Percy Fawcett, gets in this movie. And that, that internalization, I think, is also, to your point, uh, deliberate as well to make us feel that way uh, we wanted to see him succeed but deep down we know he's not going to succeed and that kind of drama I think is what James Gray is going for here yeah I, I want to bring up Tom Holland because that was the one element of the movie that I really wanted more development from but the movie's yeah. already long enough um, yep. because you have this subplot where we see him as a chi small child. He's obviously spent several, you know, decades without his dad around. And they set up this kind of confrontation between the two of them that's very easily resolved at the end of it that I kind of wanted to see more, especially yeah. considering I know that if I hadn't seen... Okay, we'll, we'll draw from life. If my father and I decided to go out into the jungle after several years of estrangement... Um, I would probably be like, we'd be bickering at the bare minimum if I hadn't, uh, haven't already like thrown his ass out of the raft. Um, so I was kind of like, these two were bonding a little too easily for my taste, um, considering, but it does, Tom Holland, I think does have my favorite scene in the movie, which is where he's explaining to his mother about wanting to go on this adventure. And she gets, um, a little uppity about the fact that he's using her logic and her words against her. And I think Gray does a great bit of writing there with the fact that she has to begrudgingly take her own advice and allow him to use her logic. But the distinction is, is that he's a man at the end of it. You know, it's not just uh, the fact that he's transitioning from boy to man. It's that at the end of the day, he was born a male and he can afford to go out into this journey and she can't. I think that Which was a really... Why I, I... I think Which is why was, I really... Sorry, go on. Oh, no, I was going to say, I think that's a really great little subtle moment that if you're not paying attention to the film, you're going to miss. I, I think that, you know, that aspect of the, these men are... 
given permission by society to be able to do this sort of thing. And I'm going to go back around to what you were saying before about the Sienna Miller character, about how she kind of has to be on the sidelines, but yet she does have that willingness to want to go along with him. Um, That balancing act I thought was so, so crucial. And you could totally see it. I know I could totally see it. I could totally see a version of this movie where that's not included at all. And she becomes Laura Linney and Sully, essentially. Yeah, <laughs> you know and, what and, I mean? and when I when I talked to to James Gray, I think he was very surprised that I brought up Sienna Miller because I don't think a lot Why? of people are. She's, she gives the best performance in the movie. Exactly, <laughs> but I don't think a lot of people are bringing her up because he was really surprised that I brought her up, and he said, you know, that there is to to remove her from the the narrative. Not only would it be ridiculous to remove the the, the female face at that time period, but the movie essentially ends, she gets the last word in the film. She's the one that's left behind to kind of be driven mad in a way by what she knows to be true, what she hopes to be untrue, and that she's essentially the face of what's left of the this kind of mad male desire for do- for world domination, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, and we'll and we'll have um, that interview actually posted uh, at a later date, actually uh, between you and James Gray, so that people can listen to that discussion a little bit more. But um, one other thing I also um, want to say in regards to that too is like I love how much that that the ending to this film also plays into the themes of uh, obsession and that uh, idea of doubt. You know, uh, Percy Fawcett, you know, you're, you're constantly wondering throughout the movie, is he doubting himself? Is he doubting that he's put in all this effort and all this time into finding something that's just not real, right? And now you can flip that around at the end with, with uh, Sienna Miller's character and you can, you know, like you said, is what she believes to be true untrue or is what's untrue really true? We don't know. And I love that the film ends at that point because as someone who, you know, watched this film and really this film is what, uh, two and a half hours long? I, I believe so, yeah. It feels like it's three and a half hours long, you know? And so after the movie was over, I remember I took the train ride home and just thinking about this movie constantly, just going through it in my mind because that uh, sense of uh, patient storytelling really, really lends itself well to think about uh, the characters' predicaments, what's going through their minds, and asking yourself what decisions you would make in uh, this sort of situation, even though, obviously, um, we will never find ourselves in similar situations. It's still very fascinating, regardless. Um, I want to talk about how audiences will respond to this movie. Do you think there is an audience for this film? I do. I I hate to label it in the concept of adult films, and by adult I don't mean porn. I mean, you know, kind of the films that are aimed at moviegoers who are true cinemaphiles, who don't mind a movie that doesn't talk down to them, that doesn't give all the answers that you have to actively participate with. And that's what this movie is. It's deeply complex, even though on the surface it's a very straightforward story of man goes into wilderness or jungle and discovers stuff about himself and stuff about the world. But it's almost like James Gray movies almost feel like a stage play with like a really complex like Russian novel thrown in there at the same time. Because uh, you're, you're constantly having to analyze character and 
the looks on their faces and the way they interact with their scene partners or with their their props or something like that. Everything has meaning in this movie. And that isn't something that a lot of audiences want. So if you're looking for something that is, you know, in the vein of Transformers, you're not going to get it. It was funny, I brought up with James Gray how many Robert Pattinson fangirls I got who sent me questions uh, to ask him about working with Robert Pattinson. And I was saying, well, hopefully they'll go see this movie and get a quality film out of it alongside, you know, seeing (laughs) Robert Pattinson. And that's kind of the hope. You know, I hope there's an audience that will give this a chance because they don't make movies like this. They don't greenlight these as often as they should. No, not at all. Uh, I realize we didn't talk about Robert Pattinson. Um, How did you feel about him in this? He's fine. Um, Honestly, he doesn't talk a lot. And he's got that big bushy beard, so he's practically unrecognizable. But his character's kind of the side man, the strong, quiet guy Friday. Um, He's fine. Mm. I didn't hate him. I didn't really pick him out of a crowd, though. Yeah, I I, I hear you on that one. Um, In comparing, like, uh, performances in this movie, I do believe that he does uh, an adequate job, and I always appreciate the fact that he is broadening himself as an actor constantly by taking daring... uh, projects uh, such as this one uh his work with also with uh, someone like Cronenberg also uh, comes to mind as well so I really appreciate his efforts as an actor to want to branch out which leads me to dear good old Charlie Hunnam now as somebody who watched all seven seasons of Sons of Anarchy and I, I got through about five <laughs> I'm, uh, well let me tell you I was definitely tired by the end that's for sure um Charlie Hunnam really, really worked his way over me on that show because I was not a fan of him. I was not a fan of any of his film work whatsoever. And yes, I understand he's in Children of Men, but that's not really a, you know, star role. Uh, Things like Pacific Rim and even moments in Sons of Anarchy too. He's just so one note. I... I really just don't like him as an actor. Um, Now, I think he has a presence... And I think he's got a great look to him, but I just don't see him giving uh, much in the way of complex um, and also unique performances. I think unique is the word I'm looking for. It seems like we're always just watching Charlie Hunnam on screen instead of seeing Charlie Hunnam become a character. With all that said, this is surely his best performance. Uh, Would you agree? I would say this is the best suited for him. Oh, okay. Um, I see. Let me let me throw out an example that is not biased. I know people are going to say it, okay? I am one of those who says actors should know their limitations. They should know their niche, mm. okay? When Army Hammer played the Winklevoss twins, that was perfect, okay? <laughs> because he looks like a Harvard douchebag. Now, I'm not saying he hasn't branched. He has. But he still kind of sticks to what he knows, playing kind of douchey. Charlie Hunnam, I've always said, works really best when he plays very formal Englishmen. That accent, which is perfect for like the tut-tut jargon of this movie, perfectly Mm -hmm. suited. This is what he should play all the time. Very buttoned up like parliament members, okay? Um, So as, as Percy Fawcett, I thought he was kind of perfect. I, I think that Charlie Hunnam's going to have a problem doing anything else other than this. Um, be, as we've seen yeah. 
with him trying to play like King Arthur. No, you need to stay formal. You need to stay buttoned up. That's what you're good at. Um, so, I mean, I think he's perfectly suited for this. It's not a role that, yes, it requires him to have these moments of doubt and these these acting moments of questioning, but it's not out of his wheelhouse. It probably doesn't sound good, but for him it works. I, I think this is his strongest performance because he's sticking to a character that is something he knows, you know? I, I don't know how to explain it any better than that. He's really good, but it's not a performance that is going to make you say, wow, Charlie Hunnam can act. No, Charlie Hunnam can stick to what he's good at. This is like if you watched him in Nicholas Nickleby, which is a great movie, <laughs> for him, you know, it's just, he can do Dickens when he's playing that buttoned up, kind of like, very English Dickensian scamp, but I could never see him playing, you know, like, a, a, you know, 2016 doctor or anything like that, you know, like, I, I just, I can't, he's got a very niche persona, and this is perfect for it, that's that's neither good nor bad. I'm just saying he's got he's limited. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, we're not we're not we're not. Uh, yeah, I think I think the Charlie Hunnam bashing uh, session is over here. <laughs> it's not bashing. I mean, if he was playing Christian Grey, then I'd be bashing. Like, see, even he knew that wasn't perfect for him. He picks things at this yeah. point that are great for him, and that's that's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's uh, take a look at final thoughts. Grades out of ten. Oscar potential. What do you have, Kristen? Uh, I really like this. I wasn't blown away, but it's beautiful. And it's a very controlled film. It's a thought-provoking film. Since I've seen it, I have thought of it a lot, which is always a good sign because I see a lot of movies. Um, so I would say cinematography is a must. This this needs to have cinematography. Um possibly maybe an editing i thought the editing it, it didn't feel overly long it felt very deliberate oh, no it felt way. very deliberate i'm not gonna say it didn't feel overly long I'll, t- I'll take that back it felt like there was a deliberate pacing to this um no i'm saying no way on the editing uh, that's, i don't think it gets anywhere close we're to doing no I, are we doing no guts no glory or are we doing realism here realism okay so fine cinematography if I could make the decisions pie in the sky, I would say editing and Sienna Miller. I know those two are not going to happen, though. I think critics could resurrect Sienna Miller if the category is weak. I I really believe they could. I do. <laughs> I would I would love to think that. Unfortunately, she's a woman in Hollywood who has burned bridges by sleeping with other people. Um, and I think the tabloid fodder has kind of dampened her career. Um, yeah. You know. She didn't, you know, turn into an anti-Semite. I guess that's how you get an Oscar in this town. Um, But (laughs) I I would love to see it. I would love to see it happen. I don't think it will, though. Um, But great out of 10, I'm going to give this, I think to go too high would be disingenuous, but to go too low would be a lie because it is a good movie. So I'm going to go, and we don't do halves anymore. God damn you, Matt. Yep. I'm going to have to go seven. I think an eight would have been a little too high for me. That's fair because I too give this a seven out of 10. So, hey, look at that. Um, Oscar potential for me. Cinematography is a must as well. Um, Like I was saying, I will advocate for this all year long. Um, There is nothing uh, so far in 2017 that I've seen that is as pretty as this uh, at all. I mean, the seductive imagery it plays such a key component role 
in the experience of watching this film. So that alone right there, I mean, come on. Now, I'm going to also raise the stakes a little bit here. I'm also going to maybe say I think it has a good chance at a costume uh, nomination as well. Oh, okay. I forgot costumes. Yes. Yeah, because I think it's very varied, you know, because we see stuff in the Amazon. So we see stuff with the the English people. We we see different classes. I mean, there's, there's a lot here. So that's very possible. And then makeup and hairstyling. I could see that. Yeah, you never know, right? I mean, we're not going to get five nominees this year, unfortunately. It's still going to be three, but I could see it possibly being in the conversation. Um, it may not make it all the way, but who knows? Um, so seven out of ten, those three, I'll argue. And listen, at the end of the day, this uh, is a film that feels long, even though it's not an, uh, an over three-hour film. But I do think that the results are rewarding. And I also think there's a lot of good stuff in here, definitely. It is certainly worth revisiting, uh, which I am actually planning to do this week. So I'm pretty excited to revisit it myself. So if I'm looking forward to watching it a second time, I think you should be excited about watching it for a first time. Kristen, where can they find you on the internet? I am on Twitter at journeys underscore film. And you can find me at Next Best Picture. This has been our review of The Lost City of Z. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to this review. Uh, We will have that interview, as I said before, between Kristen and writer-director James Gray uh, posted later on. But for now, thank you so much for listening. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Leave us a review on iTunes if you have the time. Nothing less than five stars is acceptable. Thank you all very much, and we will see you all next time. Hey there. I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.